We're going to jump right in today. I, I, I just want to introduce myself. If you don't know who I am, I am Will Gaines, the, the student ministry director downtown. And I'm, I mean, I'm just so glad to actually get to do this, the privilege of getting to do this. Um, love seeing my friends out there coming to support me, to be here with me. Love you guys so much. But I've been doing youth ministry here uh, downtown almost 10 years and about 12 years since college. And uh, it's, it's been a ride of just craziness. I've seen a lot of students come and go. I've seen a lot of ages come and go. It's crazy when I run into somebody who's in their late 20s who was in my youth ministry you know, years ago. And you're like, man, I've seen a, a lot of what God has done over the years. I've seen Jesus meet people. I've seen students encounter Jesus. And that's what I'm going to talk about today is what it means to have an encounter with Jesus. But first, I want to talk about how hard it is to be a teenager. If you're a teenager in the room, you know how hard it is to be a teenager. It's difficult. It's crazy. If you're a parent of a teenager or if you're just someone in here, you probably remember being a teenager. And it's nuts. It's hard. Um, I, I, I remember being 12 years old, and um, uh, I, I had asked my parents. I was like, hey, you know, as the religious kid I was, I want a Bible for my 13th birthday. And um, I, I had this pastor tell me a few days before. He sat down with me and um, just a wonderful man, you know, trying to encourage me. And in his way of encouraging me, he said, your teenage years are going to be some of the hardest years of your entire life. It's like, thanks a lot. This is great. He's like, the world's going to try to define you. Everybody's going to try to tell you who you are. Um, it's going to be hard. Your, your emotions are going to be all out of whack. You're not going to be sure, like, what's going on? What, what's next for me? It's this in-between world where you don't know what's going on. It's just nuts. Everything's up in the air. You're just trying to figure out who you are. <clears throat> so 13 comes to me, and I'm like, I want a Bible. My parents, this Saturday night before, we had a little party with my family in Nebraska, and I open my gifts, and I get this awesome leather Bible with my name on it, um, William Carl Gaines. It's right there on it, engraved in, loved it. And the next day, we get up. We're like, we're going to go to church together. It's a Sunday. I remember all this so specifically. It's crazy. We go to church that Sunday, and, and we engage in the worship service. We engage with the people. And my, my parents are like, hey, where do you want to go eat? It's, it's your birthday lunch. Where do you want to go eat? And, uh, you know, welcome to teenage years. You get to choose. And I chose the mall because the food court options, right? We're going to go get, I'm going to have a piece of pizza and some Chinese food. And I might go get some gelato afterwards if I'm lucky, right? <laughs> and um, so we, we, we go do this. And my dad pulls up our 1995 Windstar blue van, which I often got in trouble for flinging that door shut too hard. And so um, I, I was always used to being the last one out of the vehicle. My 76-year-old grandma is there with us, and um, I fling the door shut, and um, all, I just hear like a boom, the door reopening. And I turn around because I'm wondering what got in the way. It's my grandmother's head. She <laughs> leaned out. She's fine, guys. It's fine. Um, <laughs> 20 years ago, she's, she's still kicking, man, 96 years old. She's fine. But my dad said a word really loud that I won't repeat, said her name. And then we, um, he immediately started praying for her because that's, that's what we do when someone gets hurt. We just pray that she is going to survive whatever happened. She, she lived. It was good. I didn't get the lunch I wanted. Um, and that was the beginning of my teenage years. I felt so shameful, so much guilt. I had no idea. Like, I'm like, oh, thanks, God. Welcome. Welcome to your teenage years. This is how it's going to be for the next several years. So enjoy it. So enjoy it. And, 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 and I, I say all this to say, if you remember being a teenager, it's hard, it's difficult, it's a weird stage of life, everything's crazy, everything around us is telling us, our, our cell phones are telling us who we are, how to dress, how to be, the kids are swiping through stuff, and it's like, hey, if you dress like this, you can be this way, if you do this, you can be that way, if you become successful this way, if you go to this college, if you do this right, you're going to make it through life. And in all that, when an encounter with Jesus happens, um, I've seen change. 
I've seen change in students. I've seen them go from, I don't want all these worldly things to grab a hold of. I actually want Jesus more. So um, let's, let's go and start this by opening our Bibles to Mark 5, 1 through 20. And if you're here today, you're not a follower of Jesus, man. We're, we're just so glad you're here. Um, engage in this with us. If you have questions afterwards, come talk to us. But, but ask yourself the question through this, is, is there anything in this story that speaks to me and tells me a little bit about who I am? Uh, and we're just going to read this together. If you don't have your Bible, it should be on the screen behind me. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. When Jesus stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the chains into pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him night and day among the tombs and on the mountains. He was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out into the country. Now at this moment, a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us into the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd numbered about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told in the city of the country and people came to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. And Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go. Home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim to the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. It's one of my favorite stories to, to really unpack because the story is just incredible when you're talking to students, you're sharing with students, even adults. It's like, hey, it doesn't matter how far you are. Jesus comes to you. And this area in the scripture was founded by Alexander the Great, which was kind of this place where it was just a lot of bloodshed, a lot of war. And so to this, to the Jewish culture, it was kind of like very, very unclean to them. So in this moment, we kind of see um, right, the story right before the scripture in Mark 5, Jesus and his disciples are on a boat and they're experiencing this massive storm. Some of you may know the story, but Jesus was asleep and they go and wake, wake him up. They're like, hey, you got to save us. We're about to die. He comes out, he calms the storm. A beautiful thing happens. And then all of a sudden they're on this place where these Jews are like, uh, this place is really unclean. And not only was it a place of bloodshed, but it was a place where they farm pigs. In the Jewish culture, pigs were unclean. And to take it even a step further, it was a land of tombs. And so for them to even touch a tomb or be around a dead body, it meant they were unclean for seven days. So you can imagine these disciples and they're, they're almost a little bit of lack of trust in Jesus. They're like, you almost let us die in a storm. Now we're somewhere where we can't touch anything. Like we can't put our hands on anything. We're just, we're going to be totally messed up, right? 
As soon as, as soon as they step out of the boat, you see this picture of this man just sprinting at them, screaming crazy things. So again, these disciples are like, what are we doing? I, I often imagine Jesus not quite telling them what's going on until it happens, like kind of the shock factor, right? We don't know what's going to happen, but just follow me and we're going we're gonna to get through it. I also want to note something about this, this idea of legion. It's one of the basic units in the Roman military system. So when the demonic presence identifies itself as being named legions, alludes to Roman military term. Roman legions were divided into 60 centuries as the root sent indicates. A Roman military century, in theory, could have had 100 soldiers. So in that, Roman legion could have about 6,000 men. So this legion, it's not just one, it's, it, it's, it's multiple. There's 6,000 potentially demons in this man. This man had been shackled and bound only to break free over and over again. And, and I want you to imagine this. Imagine being a family in the city nearby where it's, you're tucking your kids into bed, you're trying to get to sleep at night, and you know there's this crazy guy outside of the city. You know there's this guy out there because you're explaining to your kids, hey, um, maybe we'll name him just like Crazy Joe, right? He's screaming outside the city, go to sleep, he'll wear himself out. Every night the kids just kind of got used to it. Parents got used to it. They tried to shackle him. They tried to, tried to tie him down. The town began to identify this man as a certain man. We'll just call him Crazy Joe for, for, for the sense of it. He's just crazy, kids. He'll wear himself out. Don't be afraid. There's probably a massive disconnect from anyone really caring for this man at all. Human dignity was out the window. This is probably a nightly occurrence where they would just completely time up or justify their thoughts of like, it's okay, it's okay. Or they stayed away just based of fear, just afraid to go anywhere near this guy or for an awkward situation. I don't know what he's saying. This man was an outcast. He kind of left to his own. He would cut himself. He was naked and he was lost. Now let's go back and let's talk about what happens when Jesus arrives. There's something really incredible. And one of the reasons I want to talk about this legion piece is because I want to talk about the authority Jesus walks in with. He steps off this boat and he just walks in with the authority of the father and he steps up to this guy. And what we know about the story is they kind of have this back and forth these demons knew who Jesus was, immediately knew who he was when he walked up, had this back and forth of like, man, don't do this. Don't, please don't do this. Please don't torment me. Jesus is owning this authority. We see him own his authority time and time throughout scripture. And as he steps in boldly, he wants to step in boldly to free this man of his bondage. So Jesus sends the legion of demons out into a massive herd of pigs, as we know, nearby, which resulted in this sort of like swine suicide off the cliff, Right? All of them jumped off. And you can imagine the herdsmen are just super angry. That's my livelihood, and now it's gone. Here's the part of the story that as I read it over and over and over again, I remember being a kid reading the story and going, there's something that happens in between Jesus casting this demon out and when it says all these people went back to the city to try to tell everybody what was going on. And as a kid, you read the story. It's pretty quick. It's a pretty quick story. But there's something that happens in between here. I remember being a kid asking my leaders and asking people, my friends, like, what do, you, what do you think happened when Jesus cast the demon out and all the people went to the city? Because that took some time. It wasn't seconds. They went into the city to talk about it, to gossip maybe a bit, to say something's going on outside the city. Let's go check it out. People came back. But in that moment, what was happening? Jesus speaks into this moment, and I really truly believe there's this moment. I often saw this picture as a kid of Jesus sitting on a big rock with this guy, 
clothing him. And you can only imagine, I'm sure this guy had all sorts of questions. He's come to his right mind like, who am I? How did I get here? What's going on? Who are you? And what did you just do to me? Or what did you just do for me? And in that, Jesus does a couple things that's really beautiful. I talked about how this man would cut. Jesus steps in and he heals. This man was, was naked and Jesus clothed him. <clears throat> this man was lost and Jesus consoles him, comforts him. I believe that's what was going on between that moment before the people got back. Jesus didn't just, hey, you're good. Let's, I'm going to get out of here before these people get back, right? He actually engaged him. He sat with him. While this is happening, the townspeople are arriving to see this man, as we call him, quote unquote, crazy Joe in this moment. And, and, and he's in his right mind. He's clothed. And they respond out of just utter fear. They're not sure what happened. Maybe there's some possible anger there. Jesus came and kind of wrecked everything. Our, our, our pigs are dead. This dude seems this dude seems normal now who wasn't normal before. What has happened? Every time I, I read this part, I think of that, that line from Dumb and Dumber where he says, he says our, our, we, have, we have no money. We've got no jobs. Our pets' heads are falling off. Like I, I imagine that moment where they're like, we, our livestock is gone. Everything's dead. Everything's gone. Jesus wrecked. He came in here and just wrecked everything. I, all, all of my normality in my life, everything's messed up. It's ruined. And they beg him to go away. Out of their fear, they tell him, we need you to get out of here. We don't know what you did, but we need you to get out of here. There's this really beautiful Spurgeon quote. It says, if you and I, who are Christ's disciples, those of us in Christ, had gone there and seen this poor lunatic fully restored, we should have been filled with holy joy. And we would have composed new hymns of praise and honor of the great physician who had cured him. But these people in their alienation of heart from the Lord Jesus Christ were afraid. They feared and they trembled in the presence of almighty mercy. Omnipotent love awoke no joy in their hearts, but the spirit of bondage was upon them. What's crazy is this guy was in bondage outside of the city and Jesus comes and restores this guy. But you realize all the people in the city are actually also in bondage. They're in some sort of spiritual bondage where they're not seeing what Jesus has come to do and they're scared. They're enslaved in fear. This is the part that, that, that interests me a lot, but the man begs Jesus, let me, let me go with you. I, I don't know anybody here. I don't, I don't know who these people are. All I know is maybe one day I remember something and a lot of years later, I, I, I don't remember anything. I, I need to go with you. You did something to me. Something happened. I've, I've had an encounter. I don't, know what, I don't know exactly what it was, but I, I need to go with you. And Jesus tells him, no, I, I want you to go back. I want you to tell these people what I've, what I've done for you. Verse 19, we'll read it again. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. So let's take a second. Let's, let's look at our lives. Let's look at our lives. If you're a Christian in the room, when Jesus showed up, man, something changed. Our hearts were, were, were changed. Jesus shows up. He pursues us. And like this man, we were at one point lost, naked, oppressed, full of shame, full of fear. 
And Jesus steps in in full authority and power and saves us in the best way we could ever be saved. He saves us in the best way we could ever be saved. And then that moment I talked about, the kind of in-between where we don't know what happened in the story necessarily, but Jesus sits with us. He doesn't, he doesn't just save us and go, okay, you're good to go, right? You got this. We'll go save some other people. He sits with him. He sits with him. He has a relationship with us. He clothes us. He redeems us. He brings us to our right mind. And in that, maybe, maybe you're hearing you're in a lot of pain. Jesus is near you in your pain, your agony. What I love about this story in this moment is that with that storm happening the way it was happening right before, if it were up to that man to try to go through the storm to get to Jesus, it would have been impossible. He wouldn't have been in his right mind enough to even know to go there. Jesus comes through this massive storm to get to him. He gets to him. And for a lot of us in the room, it's, we, we, can't, we can't go back through that storm by ourselves to get to Jesus. He goes through the storm to get to us. He didn't just do all these things I talked about. He also does something really beautiful. And, and I imagine this as, 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 he, as he does this, he, he gives us the Holy Spirit. He fills us with the Holy Spirit. He equips us with the Holy Spirit. This is us being equipped like the man in the story to go and tell our friends and the people in our cities what Jesus has done for us. We help point people to marvel at the power and the love of Jesus who saves. We're equipped. We're filled with the Spirit as salvation to go and actually do something, to share with people who Jesus is. The Christian in the room, it's like, hey, if you're a believer here, you are equipped to take this story, which is a lot of our stories, and, and, and go tell people what Jesus has done for you so that they'll marvel. In this story, we don't hear about, we, we don't hear about um, all, all these people in this revival happening necessarily, but it says, it ends that scripture saying, and they marveled. They were afraid before and they marveled. So probably, <laughs> this was worth recording, so probably there was some sort of massive revival because this crazy guy out of his mind got touched by Jesus and Jesus did something magnificent in his life and they went and shared the good news of Jesus and Jesus changed lives through a man, through mission, through the Holy Spirit. If you're not a believer in this room, this is a call for you. This is a call for you. Jesus is showing up. He goes through the storms to get to you. He calms the storms to reach you. If this man would have, like I said, if this man would have to go through the sea to get to him, it wouldn't have happened. Jesus came to him. As this man lived amongst the tombs, he lived amongst the tombs. Jesus goes to the tomb to save us. As this man cut himself, Jesus was cut to bleed and to heal us. Jesus was stripped naked so we could be clothed with his righteousness. Isaiah 53 4 through 5 says this, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. He was esteemed him not, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace 
and with his wounds we are healed. As this man was clothed, Jesus clothed him with his righteousness. Jesus clothes us with his righteousness. We are no longer slaves to our old lives of sin, but a child of God, a sibling to Jesus, our good and sacrificing older brother. Jesus wants a relationship with you. If you're not a Christian here today, Jesus wants a relationship with you. He wants to sit with you. He wants to rescue you and sit with you. He wants to be with you. You are not alone. He won't leave you or forsake you. He wants to be near. Come to Jesus today and respond to the loving God that he is. Come to Jesus today. And we have to realize the truth in this story in order to understand that this story is our story. We're, we're like I said earlier, we're either this man Maybe we're this man where we're just out, out of our mind, dead in our sin, crazy, needing complete restoration and healing. Or maybe we're the people in the city that are coming in and we're, we're just in this spiritual bondage where we're just a slave to fear. We're a slave to, to maybe something that's gonna change. We don't really know what Jesus has come to do, but we're just kind of a slave to everything else. God has the power to deliver and save from the brokenness in our lives and the world and from the bondage of sin and rebellion against him. In closing, I, I oftentimes use this story with students who um, feel like they're really far, far off, far gone. I have conversations with students a lot where it's like, I've done, you have no idea, I've done so many things <laughs> where I don't know that God could actually really love me. I don't know that he could actually receive me. I think that he might reject me. And not just students, but for anybody in the room, that's, that's not the case. You're not too far gone. This is a great source of encouragement for followers of Jesus to remember who they actually serve. We serve the triune creator of the entire universe. The power of the eternal son protects and guides with the utmost reliability. It's reliable. Even when we are in great distress, Jesus has now paid the price for our sinful rebellion and has also overcome the powers of Satan and the grips of death. We can see as followers of Jesus that we are in the best of hands. Even if this life results in death, maybe suffering, we're still in, in really good hands. We sang tonight that, that God, you're good. You're good. God is so good. It's, it's, it's sometimes easy to sing that when things are going great, but in a lot of these stories, it's, it's hard to sing it when things are not going so great. But we are in the best of hands even if the result is awful. And in the gospel, we know that because Christ has died and risen, we are united with him. All that happens to us because to us from the hand of the loving father, all the wrath we deserve has been removed. He does everything, everything for our good. That's our call today. He does everything for our good. If you're in a place of, of suffering, if you're in a place of pain, Come to Jesus. He's, you're not here by accident. He's pursuing you, chasing after you. Come, come to Jesus today.